Hey everybody, Tavis here. Just a quick disclaimer to say that at the time of this recording, Deb Bryan was indeed involved at Spruel, but has now founded and become the CEO of her own company, Ethical Energy LLC. Just a little bit of housekeeping to get out of the way before the interview, but I won't hold you back. Please enjoy. Alrighty, Rare Petra audience, welcome back to another podcast, and I'm very excited to bring you another episode of the Industry Leader Spotlight. First things first, if you are listening to this, well, thank you for your patronage, but also we do upload these to YouTube. Great visuals, good looking guests, good looking hosts, what would you not want to see? Highly encourage you to search for Rare Petra on YouTube, but I've talked enough. Today I'm actually joined by Deb Ryan. Welcome to the show, Deb. Thanks for having me. Of course. Deb Bryan is the Senior Manager Engineering for Spruill's Denver office and spearheads their business development initiatives in the U.S. market. Spruill is a leading consulting firm providing deep technical expertise and commercial insights to minimize risk and optimize business decisions. She is also registered for the professional engineer. She is also registered as a professional engineer in Colorado and Texas and is very active in several industry organizations, including the SPE North American Regional Director, the Ethics Chairperson for the Society of Petroleum Evaluation Engineers, and the Treasurer for Women's Energy Network Colorado, and also, very recently, was recognized as one of Ally's Top Energy Voices of 2020. Very well decorated, I see. Well, thanks, Tavis. Thanks for having me. Of course. So the question I'd like to start with, well, first of all, you are an Australian born and raised native, right? So, I am. That is, that is, I, uh, I've been in the U.S. since about 2012, but yeah, originally from Perth, Australia. Uh -huh. so. so this is a fun question to ask. We like to ask how people got started, and it's pretty easy to see a lot of them as they were born alongside a rig or raised in fields of <laughs> pump jacks in Oklahoma, but how did you get into it? What's the energy yeah. landscape like in Australia? Um, so it's, it is a little bit different. It's not, um, and actually I don't come from a family of engineers or, or anything like that. Um, but I always knew I wanted to go into engineering, um, from a young age and did chemical engineering as my undergraduate, um, Western Australia is a huge mining and, and oil and gas, uh, state in Australia and thought, you know, at 17, I'd end up working on a mine site with my chemical engineering degree. And in my final year of chem eng, I actually did a gas reservoir engineering elective with the petroleum engineering department. And I loved it. And so I uh, signed up and did my master's degree in petroleum engineering and kind of the rest is history. And I've been in the petroleum engineering industry ever since. Uh -huh. so, and then can yeah. you walk us through kind of, you get out of school, what do you do first? Yep. Like clearly you're not starting any companies <laughs> or doing anything crazy, but what was no, that ladder? So like? I had a, um, I went to work for a company called Woodside, um, Woodside Energy, um, which is one of the major Australian operators that operates some of the big LNG fields um, off the coast of Western Australia. So I started there in their graduate program, um, actually working on heavy oil projects offshore and things like that, which was super fun. So I used to got to got to go out to the rig a lot and um, was on the FPSO when we turned it on and also got to go to Libya with them and do some other things, which was really cool. So yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. So very... Uh, Inconventional um, offshore, you know, very kind of conventional grad program with an operator kind of start. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I got in. Um, I uh, I switched to unconventionals very early in my career. Um, so I went across from Perth to Brisbane, um, worked for a company called Arrow Energy, which was one of the coal bed methane 
uh, to LNG companies in Australia. So developing LNG on the East Coast. Um, and I was their head reserves engineer for them. So that was when I actually started coming out to the US a lot. We had a lot of US consultants at the time in Australia obviously with a lot of the, the COBED methane experience coming out of the US. And that was how I met um, my company here in the US and, and moved in 2012. And I've been here ever since. So on the consulting side. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And then where in that, clearly you did a lot, you got involved with a lot of things. Where do you feel that at some point you became an industry professional, industry leader, not necessarily just someone who's working in the field, but someone who's yeah calling some shots, spreading the wealth of knowledge. Uh, maybe there's not an epiphany, but is there any point where you felt a difference? Yeah. Lead I mean, leadership's one of these funny things, right? And I thought very early on in my career, you know, I was asking people about when I was going to become, you know, go into management and stuff like that. And I'd, um, you know, a few conversations and things like that. But I also realized that in some of the work I was doing, I was taking on leadership roles that, you know, had nothing to do with my title and things like that either. And I think there's always opportunities, no matter where you are in your career, to do some of that. Um, it was when we were actually offshore um, on the FPSO, so the floating, floating production storage and offloading vessel, for those that that don't know that, that offshore terminology, um, I was you know, essentially helping control the wells and, and get the field started and working with the operators and, you know, calling the shots and getting things done. I knew the field really well. I'd worked on it for three years. And um, after we got the field up and running and I'd been offshore for a month, the, um, the OFM came up to me and he actually asked me how old I was and was blown away when he found out I was only 25. Um, because he was like, I, he's like, I never would have known, you know, those guys have so much respect for you. you, you know, you did a great job. And, and that was kind of the first time, you know, really early on in my career that I realized you could have that kind of influence and respect and, and lead a group without, you know, without that title necessarily, you know, just doing my job, but doing it, you know, making sure I was doing a good job and, and, uh, you know, working with the group really well. So it was uh, reflecting on it. I think that's, you know, I think it's a big thing for a lot of people is that you don't necessarily need that management title. Leadership mm -hmm. and management are very different things. So yeah. definitely, definitely. I can totally understand that. And then also that brings us to, I feel like the present now you are currently working with Spruill. Can you tell us a little bit about them, what they do, or even what you do? Yeah. So Spruill is a global um, oil and gas consulting firm. Um, and I guess energy consulting firm, we've uh, started expanding into different areas of uh, the energy chain. And uh, I'm a reservoir engineer by background and my office here in Denver um, that I kind of oversee still very um, subsurface focused um, geologists and, and reservoir engineers predominantly in the office here in Denver. Um, but we work across the entire value chain of energy, essentially from, you know, the early merger acquisition, due diligence, deal making with our strategic advisory group, um, reservoir characterization. So, you know, modeling and field development planning um, into reserves and resource um, estimates, which, which a lot of people are very familiar that Sprule does. And then we also have an asset management group as well that come in and, you know, help companies on a consulting operations basis and stuff like that as well. So really covering that full spectrum um, globally from our five our five global offices so yeah incredible and i'll be sure for those of you listening or maybe even watching to put a little bit of link here in the description or the description of the podcast whatever you're looking at so you can see what sprule may be able to offer to you but i think it would be a huge disservice to those listening if we didn't talk about current events specifically this downturn now i only graduated in may so this is my pleasure uh the, i have the pleasure of witnessing this as my first downturn but what about some of the ones in the past? How do they compare? What do you think some of the differences are? 
Yeah, it's um, it's so I've been uh, in the industry since 2005, um, which is crazy. It, it hasn't felt that long, um, but I, I still I don't feel that old, thank goodness. But you know, so this is kind of like kind of my third downturn, essentially. If you if you separate out 14, 15, 16, and now sometimes you know if you lump them together, then maybe only two. Um, the thing that was really interesting about 2008, I was still in Australia. Um, and I know a lot of people talk about that, um, obviously, in terms of the financial crisis and things like that. But Australia was in a really interesting position at that time. The economy was really strong. The Australian dollar was really strong. And really, we didn't see it. Um, so um, I was very fortunate in that regard that I was still based in Australia and working in Australia at that point. Um, but uh, obviously, everything changed in 2014. Like I said, I moved to the US in 2012. So saw a couple of years of really high oil prices, but gas prices had obviously already dropped. Um, and a lot of our clients were already struggling on the gas side. But 2014 obviously sent shockwaves through the industry. And for me, um, obviously, it was a hugely stressful time for everybody. But I wasn't in a management position yet um, at my former company, MHA Petroleum Consultants. You know, I was still responsible for business development and trying to bring work in and things like that, but I wasn't part of the management group. Um, so a lot of what I did during that time period, um, the 15, 16, 17, was really personal reflection and trying to understand what was my personal position in terms of what was I going to do if I, you know, if the company went down or, or went under or, you know, if I didn't, you know, if we had to, you know, we did cut staff and if I was one of those staff, what was I going to do? So it was all very personal. Um, you know, what did I need to do to make sure that my career was resilient and that I was going to survive and, and get through and, you know, be a stronger engineer on the other side of it. Um, that all kind of changed in 2018 when I made partner at, at MHA. Um, and, Suddenly, you know, it's not just me, it's the company, the viability of the company and all my staff um, and what that looks like. So it, it completely changes your perspective on the responsibility and how you look at that. And, you know, I'm really proud of, of what myself and the other partners did at MHA through 2018. Um, you know, how we did turn the company around and, and turned ourselves, you know, back into a viable business. And, and that's, you know, something I'm really proud of. Um, looking at it now with Sprawl, so we were actually acquired um, in 2019 by Sprawl. So um, my, my team here in Denver has been together for a long time. So I think that also helps us, um, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie and we're, you know, we've known each other for a long time. So that's, that helps during tough times, you know, got to every, every now and then still remember to laugh and smile and, you know, have some fun, even though things are, you know, terrible. But again, as part of the senior management group at Sprawl, it's not just about me anymore either. It's about what are we doing to bring in work for the company? What are, you know, how am I keeping my staff busy, not just myself um, from a consulting point of view? So it just, it gives you a really different outlook. Um, I think depending on where you are in your career, um, obviously, you know, being a recent graduate and stuff, um, I know I've spoken to a lot of students and stuff recently and, and recent graduates, and it's a really stressful time. And it's, you know, very similar to what I was doing in 15, 16, 17, where it's very personal in terms of what, are, you know, what are you trying to do to set yourself apart, you know, stand out, make yourself resilient and stuff like that. So it's, I think the way that we deal with these things really represents kind of where we are in our career and, you know, what we've kind of got going on as well. So that's kind of some of my sort of things that I've seen and noticed, particularly in the last five years, obviously, with um, the volatility that we've seen here in the market, um, just sort of nonstop for the last five years. So, <laughs> Yeah, of course. 
And then also, I like how you mentioned you attribute a lot of success to just working with a good team because that can definitely make or break a corporate environment. But then just the work in general. I mean, as a consulting firm here at Rare Petro, one of the things you need to consult are, well, people to consult. And it's kind of difficult to find that. So what is Sproul yeah. doing to try and uh, keep itself, well, maybe not keep itself afloat. I'm sure it's doing much better than that. But how is it finding work and trying to acclimate to this new environment? Yeah, I think for me, both both personally and for companies, um, one of the keys to being resilient, one of the keys to really understanding and getting through these kind of times is diversification and how resilient are you? And it's it's not just diversification in skill sets and people, um, but in the types of projects and clients we're doing as well. There's a lot of skill sets as, you know, subsurface, either geologists or engineers that cross over um, into different disciplines and things like that. Um, you know, historically, Sprawl was known um, as a reserve and resource sort of evaluation company. Um, MHA, where I worked, we did a little bit of that, but we did a lot more um, litigation, expert witness type work. Um, we do a lot of teaching, a lot of reservoir characterization. And so we've really um, been working with the group in Calgary and our other global offices to um, expand those diversified offerings and also looking at um, you know, starting to look outside the box a little bit, like a lot of people in the industry are, and being a little bit creative with some of what, you know, how we're talking to clients in terms of the business development we're doing. And what's kind of falling out of that is that a lot of our clients are starting to talk about things like CCUS and carbon reporting, and we're perfectly positioned to be able to do some of those things. And um, it's, uh, you know, so it's just, it's figuring out where the skill sets fit, um, maybe in unconventional ways. But it's still all totally relevant and and work that you know my group um, can do. So it's I think it's really key. Um, you know how do we make sure that we've got diverse skill sets within the company and even personally when we're looking at our own you know resumes and things like that during these times to to make sure that we can get through. So definitely, and I love the positivity. Just making sure <laughs> to get through, finding work, and hey, doing it with yeah. a smile. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for a lot of people. Oh, I, um, I think most people, uh, would you know, probably so and it agree. doesn't, you know, everyone's kind of gone through things differently this year. Whether it's you know a personal, you know, financial hardship, or whether it's company financial hardship, or um, you know, health related issues. Obviously, given it's a pandemic and all sorts of different things, so everyone's experienced this differently. And and I think it's it's an interesting time of the year just to be reflecting and kind of looking back and figuring out where some of those silver linings are and finding the positives and, and rolling into 2021 and just hoping that it's better. Yeah, so. I hope, I wish we all had an attitude like that. And it's good to work <laughs> around people who have an attitude like that. But we've talked about it from the perspective of you, your company. Can we make the scope even broader and go to the world? What are going to be some changes that come out of this downturn? Or do you think it'll just be business as usual once we get past it? I, I think the industry is at an absolute pivot point. Um, I think that's absolutely clear um you know we've lost unfortunately we've lost the trust of the investment community um because we've had terrible return on investment um unfortunately here in the u.s for the last few years um and we've lost the we've lost the trust of the public um and that then flows into policymakers and regulators so we have to pivot 
um, you know, we have to figure out as an industry how we're going to be more open to listening and communicating with all of our stakeholders, you know, our financial people, our communities that we're working in, you know, our the other companies that we're working alongside, you know, all of these stakeholders. And we, we need to take an, I think, a long, hard, honest look and, and you know, make some changes. Um, and I think we're starting to see conversations around that. And as an industry, instead of, um, you know, we've, I think we've approached a lot of these issues, particularly around things like climate, um, very defensively, and that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, you know, we have to be figuring out how the oil and gas industry is part of the solution. We're a bunch, essentially, of engineers and geologists, um, you know, and then all our legal and financial and all the other support staff that go with it. We're problem solvers. And so why aren't we part of the solution? Why aren't we having conversations about where skill sets can be leveraged to solve some of these huge fundamental global problems um, instead of just sticking our heads in the sand and saying, well, the world needs energy, which it does. And so you need us, so leave us alone. You know, that, that, that's been done for a long time and it hasn't worked. So uh, it's something I'm hugely passionate about. And, you know, coming out of this, I think, the industry is going to look very different and it, it needs to, to be honest. So, And then I'd like to circle back to something you talked about. You talked about how we need to work with everybody. You know, not everyone has the context that a petroleum engineer might have, that a company involved in petroleum might have. And kind of like we mentioned in your intro, you were actually recently in Allies Top 25 Voices in Energy for 2020 for your stance on industry communication as it relates to energy sustainability, like you've been mentioning. Yep. So how should companies and industry professionals try to improve the, well, historically poor communication with those that may not be as familiar with the energy space? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, I think we've lost the ability to have a conversation mm. without screaming at each other from opposite sides of the room. And we've turned a lot of issues, not just energy, but, um, you know, a lot of issues have become an us versus them. And we need to break that down, that it needs to stop, essentially. Um, you know, everything that we do um, in our lives has an impact. It's how do we minimize that impact, whether it's producing oil and gas or whether it's, you know, how I, you know, cook food in my house or, you know, get to my grocery store or whatever it is, you know, everything has some sort of impact. You know, how much trash do I throw out versus how much I recycle, you know, so much. And it's really, I think, the starting point is is figuring out who the right stakeholders are, um, and figuring out how to have a conversation again. It's, I think, we've we've gone a long way away from that. It's okay for us to have different opinions without totally disrespecting the other person, and that's become a real challenge. Um, it's a huge hill that we're going to have to climb. Um, and we've got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. so. And this is definitely a nugget of gold for you listening out there. <laughs> she, she puts it best. We need to turn this debate into dialogue, reach across the aisle and see what we could do for each other. And then yeah. also a lot of young people on this podcast in the audience, a lot of recent graduates like myself, fortunately, my colleagues listen to it. Do you have any advice for them? Because I know a lot of people looking to bail on this industry as a whole or go back to school and completely scrap whatever they studied. What are some of the solutions you have for students or young energy professionals who haven't been in this business for maybe as long as yourself? 
So I think uh, you hit on something that's uh, that I've seen a lot of in the last five years, and it's people leaving the industry um, at all points in their career, not even just young professionals, um, that, you know, so much of it is, you know, people have left for a whole bunch of different reasons. One, because they haven't been able to find a job, which is hugely challenging, you know, and I get that and people need to, you know, take take care of their families and, and do what's best. A lot of people have left because, you know, it's it's difficult to often have these conversations. These are hard conversations that we're talking about. And it just, sometimes it's easier to walk away and just be, go and do something in a different industry. I think a couple of different thoughts on this, but the people that are going to end up with jobs that are going to be in this industry in the next two, five, 10, 20 years, um, you know, for young professionals, myself included in that, it's going to be the people that are really passionate about it, you know, for the people that are going to persevere and find the piece of the industry that they are hugely passionate about, um, no matter what their discipline is and things like that, um, are going to be the ones that, that do stick with it and aren't going to, you know, are going to deal with the volatility of the industry. The volatility is not new. It's always been around. Um, and, you know, but it's, it's how the people that are going to be passionate about, you know, what they're doing. And, and I think it's starting to shift with the millennials and the Gen Z's about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, it's not just a matter of, um, I, I went into petroleum because I wanted a big paycheck. I think that those days are kind of gone um, to a certain extent um, where it's, no, I'm going into petroleum engineering or I'm going into the oil and gas industry because I'm really passionate about, you know, this aspect or, of it or this part of the industry that I want to either be a part of or I want to get involved in so that I can be part of the solution. Um, and I think that's that's the huge piece, I think, in terms of recent graduates and, and young engineers, you know, the concept. And even I had a little bit of a traditional onboarding where you get your engineering degree and you'd go and work at an operator, um, work through their grad program, and then you'd figure out what was next. That's kind of gone. Um, you know, the idea of a grad program is almost foreign now, and I'm not that old. Um, and so it's, again, how do we get creative? How do we figure out, you know, and data analytics is a really good example of in, you know, 15, 16, 17, huge pivot um, for the young professionals and, and graduates to data analytics and how the industry needed and, and has started to adopt that, you know, on force, um, or on mass, I should say, um, not through force, but on mass. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's an example um, from, you know, again, out of another downturn three years ago um, that we saw this huge, um, you know, uptick in that kind of skill set. And now pretty much all the universities are offering data analytics as part of their undergraduate programs, which, you know, five, 10 years ago, I didn't do data analytics. I, you know, I'm again, not that old and I'm useless at that sort of stuff, but I rely on my young engineers to do that for me. Um, and it's going to be, you know, things I keep talking to young engineers who've got, you know, major in petroleum engineering with a minor in things like sustainability and in things like geothermal and all these other totally applicable topics that, you know, are going to be the next pivot for this industry for us to, to be part of, be part of the solution and not the problem. So. And I love the way you describe that. It's almost poetic. I like the use of the word passion. I think that's strong and that really expresses why most of the people who haven't jumped out are still here yet. So how can those young professionals we're talking about express that passion? How can we get involved? How can we volunteer? What advice do you have within that realm? Um, The value of volunteering for me throughout my career has been just 
amazing. Um, I've been involved locally with the Society of Petroleum Engineering um, since I first moved to the US in 2013. Um, and through that, um, you know, at one point I realized um, when I was the section chair in Denver, um, I think our board at the time for the SPE had about 30 people on it. And I realized that it was more people than were at my company. Um, and so when you look back and you reflect on this and you go, huh, I was actually, you know, managing this board. We had budgets. I had all these groups that I had to make sure were delivering their projects on time and on budget you know, that's a huge learning curve. That's a huge way um, to get involved, to get some of those leadership skills that a lot of young professionals are looking for, that, you know, a lot of us don't work for big companies. And it's, uh, it's a huge learning ground. And within um, technical societies, but even within some of the other industry associations, I'm, you know, I'm a member of the Denver Petroleum Club, I'm a member of Women's Energy Network. Um, these kind of organizations as well, there's ways to get involved um, in areas that you're really passionate about. You know, SBE has specific disciplines and technical groups that if you're really into a certain, or if you're really focused on a certain technical discipline, you know, you can go and get involved with conferences and events and things around that discipline. If there's, you know, other aspects um, you know, things like leadership. Um, you know, I've, I've been part of the Women's Energy Network Foundation Board now for the last two years and um, ways to get involved, um, to build those leadership skills um, wherever you're passionate. Um, and that's, it's a huge, it's been a huge value to me throughout my career, um, both for some of the, the training that I've received, I guess I would call it, you know, the <laughs> accidental training um, and development, but also as well, my network. Um, you know, I think it's, I know as young professionals and, and students, you almost get sick of hearing it about <laughs> network, 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 you know, but it's so true. Every single one of the jobs I have had in my career is because of my network. I've never actually, I, I mean, I have done interviews, but it's been after the fact. Um, you know, it's come, even my first job, when I went into my first graduate program at Woodside, the initial introduction um, came from my head of department. And uh, he connected me and I went in on contract and then I ended up in the grad program. So, um, you know, I've taken some unconventional paths with these things, but it's, it's, um, there's a lot of value in, in wherever you find your passion, either on the technical or on the leadership sides, there's, there's volunteering opportunities that can help you find that voice and, and find that passion. So Definitely. And to those of you listening, this is huge. This is monumental advice. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm a member of SPE, but what does that mean? Let's get involved. Let's network. Let's grow those leadership skills. And I think actually that does bring me to the end of the questions that I had for you, Deb. Is there anything, anything else you'd like to say? Before we close out this interview, company plug, last bit of advice, or how much you enjoyed having the pleasure to speak with Rare Petro, whatever. No, I, I, I Tavis, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to come and talk to your listeners today. And um, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, um, you know, happy to have Tavis include my email address in the um, in the meeting notes. Um, I'm pretty visible on LinkedIn and a few other um, pieces. Um, if you're here in the Rockies and are an SVE member, you're going to be hearing a lot of me from <laughs> for the next three years as I as I take on the North American Regional Director role, um, which I'm super excited about. Um, it's going to be a huge undertaking, but um, I've been working with uh, Tom, the incoming president, and, and a lot of the people on the board really closely already. And um, it's a big challenge, but I, I don't I don't shy away from big challenges. So I, I'm excited about it. So yeah. 
And we'd like to thank you as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll be sure to include all the things she mentioned in the description, ways to contact her, links to all the organizations, and definitely ways to get involved with all of these societies and leadership positions. Let's grow together. It's a positive future. That's the way we're going to frame it. Yeah. And that's the way we're going to deal with it. So again, thank you for coming to the show, Deb. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Of course. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody.